from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Business in the front, party in the back. We visit this year's Pennsylvania Farm Show for a look at a first of its kind competition. Taking sorghum to the next level, see what's going on in Kansas. More winter weather moves in, and there's the potential for a bomb cyclone. It's going to be nasty. USCA prepares to put a wrap on 2023 harvest. It could be a big wild card. The changes we could expect to see this report day, right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Later today, USCA will release its final production numbers for the 2023 crop year, but it will also provide an update on what remains in the bin. Agnes Michelle Rook joins us, and Michelle will also get some key numbers about South America's production right now. Clinton, today will be one of the busiest report days of the year for the grain markets, with several major reports being released. So what is likely to move the market? Trade guesses indicate only minor adjustments to U.S. balance sheets, so traders are going to be watching closely those South American numbers and especially the quarterly grain stocks. USDA's annual production summary provides the final crop estimates for corn and soybeans for 2023. However, the average trade guesses indicate they aren't expecting much change. There's probably not going to be a huge shock on yields. Touch higher, touch lower. Probably not going to be much of a, of a change on uh, acreage, you know, maybe a small tweak here and there. Uh, the demand side, same, you know, small tweaks here and there. On South America, analysts say USDA needs to come down on Brazil production due to the drought. They're above private estimates in nearly 6 million metric tons higher than Conab on soybeans and over 11 million metric tons higher on corn. Global production, uh, the South American production numbers, uh, in particular Brazil, uh, those are, are too high from where USDA was in December, but they're not likely to get down as low as the, the private estimates. The biggest surprise historically has been in the quarterly grain stocks, especially corn stocks. It could be a big wild card because the proportion of on-farm storage versus commercial storage, and we've seen a real uptick in the cash corn basis recently. Winter wheat seedings will also be released and are expected to be down from last year. Winter wheat acreage, it's probably going to be down somewhere in the, the neighborhood of 800,000 acres to a million acres, and, and uh, I, I think that everybody's kind of anticipating that. Bearish reports have already been priced in, but Grady says with grain struggling to attract buyer interest, bullish data is likely needed to put in market bottoms. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. And just as soon as those numbers are released, look for them on Ag Day's social media channels, and we'll have full analysis on Tuesday. Another big story we're watching right now, the massive winter storm heading across the U.S. In the bullseye right now, the Plains and Midwest experts saying if the storm intensifies fast enough, it could even reach the level of a bomb cyclone. In the West, there's a potential for record-breaking cold. It's going to be nasty. If you are out in the northwestern plains, it is going to be unbearable. We are going to see temperatures drop to the lower negative 40s in Montana. Negative 30s and negative 20s will occur in the rest of Montana, the western parts of the Dakotas, and southward into a part of Wyoming and also western Nebraska. We'll see negative teens 
In most other areas in the north central parts of the U.S., including the upper Midwest, the Red River Basin, uh, Nebraska. Lerner says he's concerned about the little snow cover in the northern plains, along with livestock, as some areas of the country will see an 80 degree temperature swing in just a matter of days. From a livestock perspective, uh, some of these temperatures are just, as you put it, brutal. And uh, the animals in Montana, again, have not been adequately hardened against the, the winter weather because it's been so warm. They've had 50 and even some 60 degree temperatures in the past couple of weeks. Uh, day before yesterday, they were in the uh, 40s and some 30s, uh, a few nighttime freezes. And now we're going to be much, much colder. Areas where it's warmer are likely in for severe thunderstorms and possible tornadoes. For the East Coast, which is still cleaning up from flooding, more heavy rain could put pressure on strained infrastructure such as dams. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us, and Matt, the bitter cold conditions are going to stretch into next week. Now I'll kind of start off uh, with a, a trend that we've been following the last couple of days, the Arctic blast moving across the United States. Now I'll go ahead and show you what to expect between now and this Arctic blast. For some, it's already here, uh, coming up in just a little bit. Uh, Sunday afternoon, yeah, these are the temperatures high temperatures for the day across the United States, below freezing in Dallas, eight below in Bismarck, but up here, uh, while uh, seven below, it is cold. It's gonna be even colder when you factor in the strong winds behind that low pressure system. Now, more of the uh, mid to upper 40s in Richmond, but as we go into our Monday and Tuesday, that pocket of cold air is gonna expand back down here to the south and to the southwest, bringing Atlanta down to about 33 degrees, Richmond 28 degrees, and then the Monday Monday morning temperatures and this is not wind chill. This is actual temperatures in Minneapolis 10 below 15 below in Bismarck and also a near zero in Tulsa where we're going to be watching the potential uh, for some snow to come across Again, there's a look at your Monday morning temperatures and we're not alone in dealing with the snow and cold. Uh, check out Corey Peters in Minitoba. Corey says hello Minitoba winter time to haul some corn getting the job done no matter what. I'll have more in your forecast coming up. More money is on the way to help increase use of biofuels here in the U.S. USDA awarding $19 million in grants to U.S. business owners. The money will be used to help expand access to biofuels in 22 states. For example, Casey's will use a $5 million grant to install ethanol pumps in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Piazza Enterprises in Illinois will use a $200,000 grant to install two biodiesel storage tanks. And in Maryland, AC&T will install both ethanol pumps and a storage tank. Now the money comes from the Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program, which was funded by the Inflation Reduction Act. Markets getting prepared ahead of that USDA report. We'll look at Thursday's action coming up next. And later, find out what sorghum researchers in Kansas are discovering about the grain and its future potential. That story after weather. And Top Producer Summit is just around the corner. This year, it's in Kansas City from February 5th through the 7th at the brand new Lowe's Hotel in downtown. If you want to take part, make sure to check out the events tab on agweb.com. Bring new technology, knowledge, and opportunity together at Ag Innovation 2024 in Kansas City on February 13th. Register today to take part in the event.
and low water levels persist along the Panama Canal, one of the world's top shippers has come up with an alternative. Maersk announcing it has decided to move some products by rail in order to keep moving things across Panama, bypassing the canal. The rail line will cover the almost 50 miles of Panama's terrain. Canal officials significantly reducing shipping traffic on the major waterway due to low water levels caused by drought. Mayor says the rerouting could lead to some delays for southbound vessels. The decision by Maersk adds a new dimension to the shipping industry, which is already dealing with issues related to reduced canal passage and the avoidance of the Red Sea and Suez Canal due to attacks by Houthi rebels. Soybeans move higher on Thursday for the first time in six sessions, but what could the release of the supply demand report from USDA later today mean for markets? Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now. Welcome to Markets Now. I'm Michelle Rook with Rich Nelson with Allen Deal, and we had a higher day in livestock greens, leaning mostly lower except for some fractional gains in soybeans. And Rich, let's talk about the activity and the grain trade. Obviously, the market gearing up here for uh, the big USDA data dump. It certainly is. And, you know, the story for these grains is actually relatively clear-cut. For corn, we have to see a significant change in these index stock numbers and or the South American story before it can really suggest that this downtrend is ready to stop here just yet. So the corn story is really, relatively straightforward. We need to look for some pretty significant changes to really change this downtrend. Soybeans tried to bounce and currently were oversold. But as we go into the reports, I know we did see some report positioning on Thursday. You know, how bearish does the report have to be? Because we've priced a lot of it already in, haven't we? We certainly right. And, and keep in mind here, though, the trade estimates for this report are for only a minimal change at best for soybean ending stocks. This market is pricing in the belief itself that the stocks will be raised on this report uh, or that Brazil will have no real significant uh, problems and that production numbers as they stand will be changed too much. So I think we can probably argue for the soybeans specifically, maybe a little too far, too fast in these past couple of weeks of, of sharp downtrend. So after we get past the report, Rich, um, are we going to be honed in on Brazil harvest results or weather or what's going to be moving that market? You know, I would still more focus on the Brazil story in the grand scheme of things for us right now, especially for the soybean discussion. You know, the harvest results are one thing, but keep in mind, this is a long protracted harvest. And I'm actually a lot more focused on the crop, which is still in development, which is the vast bulk of the crop in Brazil right now. January and February are the two months, which de are the two months, which determine the vast bulk of yield determination. So. We've had some light damage so far in the vegetative stage, but I think our, our discussion right now is really, will this recent light change in the, in, the, uh, in the weather pattern here for Brazil stay with us for the rest of this month, or is this now over? So I think that's a much bigger issue for us right now. Okay, thanks for joining us. Richard Nelson with Alan. Dale will have more update coming up. Coming up for our Friday, a system we've been talking about all week long on the heels of, well, this is the third of three. And then once we get through the weekend, could see another shallow system bring some snow in and across uh, Oklahoma, Texas uh, into next week. We'll get there. Let's start with this system. This is Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning. A sharp dividing line between the snow and the rain. So all right now it's all depending on where that low tracks because on either side of that dividing line, that's where you have intense snowfall or intense rainfall. And I don't want to uh, just glance over or gloss over what's happening back down here to the south. Once again,
Friday and into Saturday, early Saturday morning. Uh, severe weather potential is there. I could continue to see some strong thunderstorms develop in the warm sector of this low pressure system. But again, back to what's going on around the center of this low. Notice how tight these white lines are. I mentioned that a little bit ago, uh, the wind and not only in the Midwest, but back out here towards the West is going to be pretty significant with this low pressure system. As we advance this into your Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon, and we start to even these lines out just a little bit, but in and around this circle, this counterclockwise flow, I may start to see some lake effect snow. And then uh, as you get into the weekend, there's some key NFL playoff games. Buffalo, I'm looking at you, where we may have some lake effect snow now coming through now so again this is Saturday at 11 a.m. What this is going to do it's going to set the stage for a very cold air to sink across the United States. We've known that uh, for a while, but any kind of energy that we get within the jet stream that can pick up some Gulf moisture it could produce some snow. So now that the cold air is in place by Sunday, this next system you see a little notches right there is going to work from the west to the east and it is certainly cold enough and with the Gulf uh, moisture uh, available moisture uh, could see some snow kind of spread in and across uh, parts of Oklahoma, uh, Missouri into Texas. Again, that's a Sunday and into Monday. Something just worth watching as you can see you know, some of that energy come on through. It's not a lot, but it, it's enough uh, to make a big difference uh, in those locations, especially Sunday night and into Monday uh, with uh, the chance of maybe some snow coming down. Again, there's Sunday at 7 p.m. You look at the jet stream uh, for your Friday and uh, it looks very similar to what we just saw there. Cold air sinking. We call this uh, uh, grimace, uh, the purple, uh, the grimace sitting back up here into Canada, continuing to rotate uh, that cold air in and across parts of the United States all the way through Thursday. Goldsboro, North Carolina, beautiful part of the country. You got some light rain in the evening, high of 63. Wait on that cold air this weekend. Speaking of cold air, Fargo, much colder ahead, high of 8, a low of 2 below. Harlan, Kentucky, rain with 54. Researchers are finding new uses for an ancient grain. We have an update on sorghum next. And later, some call it the perfect haircut. Business in the front, party in the back. We'll show you the winners from a first ever mullet contest at the Pennsylvania Farm Show in the country. The Consumer Electronics Show is going on right now in Las Vegas and some new ag equipment is making its debut. Deuce and Bobcat showing off the industry's first autonomous and electric articulating tractor. It's the Bobcat AT450X. Now it partnered with Agtonomy, a Silicon Valley based ag tech software company to make it happen. The company says the tractor is designed to autonomously or remotely carry out farm tasks in compact applications, including vineyards and orchards. The farmers can remotely tell the tractor to do things like mowing, spraying, precision weeding, along with moving things around. Now it says it is capable of operating around the clock just by swapping out batteries. Sorghum is a resilient crop that has many uses, everything from livestock to ethanol to a whole grain we eat. And researchers at Kansas State University are working to take the crop to an entirely new level. Sorghum is a climate smart, water smart crop. More importantly, sorghum is a critical crop for Kansas farmers who manage seasons often with water stress across the season and farmers in Kansas manage their seasons without knowing the water potential. So when they plant sorghum in their crop rotations, they're planting a crop that allows for stability of yield under those stresses 
as well as is regenerative into their system. One of the research that we're doing is looking at not only uh, being efficient with water uh, in its utilization, but also in the timing of that use. And so looking at uh, shifting water use during less, uh, less efficient times and, and preserving that water that's, that's in soil structure uh, for more important times, such as grain filling times. One of the reasons why K-State as a next generation land grant is critical in leading the front in sorghum is thinking about a gap of technologies. Sorghum's important to Kansas. Kansas leads the nation in production of sorghum, yet sorghum's a small or a mid-tier crop. It's about 1 15th the size of the largest crops in the United States. So it really takes partnership of Kansas farmers, Plains farmers, takes partnerships of a next generation land grant and private entities. And that's where K-State has really stepped in to fill the gap of connecting farmers and their needs for new sorghum technology and private marketers with the knowledge and capacity that we develop here at Kansas State University. Uh, we're also uh, starting collaborations up with different end users of sorghum. And so working with people that are working in the uh, food uh, industry uh, with sorghum, as well as uh, the, the cattle production and trying to increase the, the effectiveness and uh, the utilization of sorghum uh, in these spaces to try to increase uh, the footprint that impact that sorghum uh, can have from producer coming out of producers fields. USDA has a keystone program where they fund crop improvement that looks to link the knowledge of public capacities that happen at next generation land grant universities like K-State to realize technologies in farmers' fields with partnerships across the span of actors there. We're excited to say that Kansas State has been recognized for our leadership in this front, and we're launching a straight kin sorghum trait collaborative innovation network here at Kansas State for sorghum technologies. This will help uh, to support that, both from an infrastructure as well as a financial standpoint, to actually uh, help move that technology from researchers into uh, crop improvement, uh, as well as providing a, a pipeline for the reverse way to go from producers, from the uh, actual uh, crop improvers back into uh, the researchers. Our thanks to Kansas State for sharing that story with us. Well, show season is full of great contests. Up next, a beauty contest in Pennsylvania, having a moment, we'll take you to the stage. It's winter meeting season for agriculture, and that includes a handful of big farm shows. Well, Pennsylvania hosting a first-of-its-kind event this week during the annual show in Harrisburg. Feast your eyes on this, the inaugural Pennsylvania Preferred Mullet Contest. More than 100 competitors rolling out their version of the Kentucky Waterfall. Business in the front, party in the back. The Camaro Cut Contest divided into three categories over 18, under 18, and a throwback category with photos submitted electronically of mullets from yesteryear. Farm show organizers say they were surprised by the turnout. Babies, kids, men, women with locks long enough to make Kenny Powers, Blake Shelton, and Mike Gundy blush, all crowding the stage. Now the winner in the over 18 category was Pete Brubaker of Elizabethtown. He went on to the grand prize winning Best in Grow. His flag-themed shirt and chants of USA with the crowd helping to 
push him near Joe Dirt fame. Now he says this is no novelty crop for him. He's rocked the curly beaver paddle since the 1980s when it was cool the first time. With all this cold weather, maybe it's time I grow out a little bit of a neck warmer myself. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Agda and Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.